Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The FT. Welcome back to World Weekly with me, Gideon Rachman. This week, scathing criticism of NATO from America calls the alliance's future into question. The U.S. feels, particularly in Afghanistan, but also in other areas of defense, that it is doing more and more of the heavy lifting inside NATO. Today, it's spending 75% of total NATO expenditure on defense, compared to 50% about a decade ago. The political instability in Greece compounds the sovereign debt crisis and causes arguments within Germany. Well, Germany, of course, is by far the largest lender to Greece in any rescue package, which is why Germany is so critical. And really what we're talking about here is a classic battle between the political imperatives and the financial ones. And strains over contested islands in the South China Sea could see an unlikely alliance between old enemies, Vietnam and the United States. Clearly there is a a huge strategic benefit for the Vietnamese to have other navies, perhaps not just the US, maybe the Australians, Indians, South Koreans, other parties who aren't China in the area. So I think this is part of Vietnam's wider strategic game. Let's start with NATO and its handling of the Libyan crisis. Last week, America's departing Secretary of Defence, Robert Gates, made some very pointed criticisms of the NATO alliance. Joining me on the line is the FT's diplomatic editor, James Blitz. James, was this largely about Libya? I think it's partly Libya, but I think it's also something that's been building up both for Gates and I think other people in the administration for some time, partly because of Afghanistan. I mean, the the, the fact remains that the U.S. feels, particularly in Afghanistan, but also in other areas of defense, that it is doing more and more of the heavy lifting inside NATO. Today, it's spending 75% of total NATO expenditure on defense, compared to 50% about a decade ago, And um, European governments are cutting back enormously, as you know, on defence spending and also failing to coordinate between themselves on how they spend. So although Gates was saying something that's to some degree been said by defence secretaries before, it's never been said with such aggression and venom. And in particular with the CODA, that if the um, Europeans don't get their act together then the U.S. will really start wondering whether it wants to pay for the security of Europe in the future. Do you think that's an empty threat, or do you think Gates is simply describing reality? I think it's a genuine threat. I think there is a problem here over the medium to long term in terms of the U.S.-European security relationship. The fact is there's a couple of huge pressures on the U.S. One is that they're looking more and more at China as the major security challenge in the 21st century. And secondly, there are significant pressures on the Pentagon budget. Uh, And at the same time, you do see that the Europeans just are not spending cash on defence in the way they used to. So I don't think we'll see anything immediately happening, but I certainly think there is a big question about the extent to which the US will retain ground troops in Europe and what their posture would be in the event that Russia turned once again to being belligerent in terms of its approach towards Europe. I suppose, though, I mean, maybe the the background to the declining relevance of of NATO is partly European reluctance to spend on defence, but that reluctance reflects the sense that 
maybe there isn't a threat anymore. You mentioned Russia, but the days when we were worried about Russian tanks sort of rushing through the Fulda Gap are, are long gone. So maybe NATO's mission has just disappeared, and that's why it's in trouble. I think that's the reason why Europeans are turning away from defence spending towards spending on other issues. But there's two things I think need to be said. First of all, it's only four years since Russia did actually go and invade another country, i.e. Georgia. So although we are in a new phase, the Obama phase, if you like, of resetting the U.S.-Russia relationship, it isn't that long ago since there was belligerence. And secondly, if you look at an issue like cyber warfare or, or cyber security, Russia is a very aggressive player alongside China in terms of uh, intervening and, and, and attacking other people's cyber systems and so on. It did it in Estonia in 2007. And that is an area where Europe really cannot afford to take its eye off the ball. And finally, James, I mean, if, as seems likely, the Europeans fail actually to respond to this Gates challenge, fail to s- spend more on defence, the US does get less interest in NATO as an institution. Does that mean that Europe's essentially by default, giving up on any claim to play a global security role? I think it may do. I mean, I think the timing of the Gates speech is important in one respect, which is that the two major defence players in Europe, Britain and France, do have to take big decisions on defence spending in the next two or three years. The British have set out a a, a configuration for defence in 2020, which needs a very significant uplift in spending after about 2014-15. And the Cameron government has to decide whether it wants to make a commitment to that, and pretty much the same as there in France. So I think it's still a bit open as to how this is all going to develop. What I think is a huge worry is the stance of Germany in the end. I just don't think that Germany feels it wants to be a player either operationally or in terms of collaborating on procurement and and operational projects uh, in the way people had hoped. And so it's that side of things which I think is going to worry people much more in in the period ahead. James, thank you very much indeed. The Eurozone debt crisis continues to spiral out of control. In Greece this week, there were riots on the streets and disarray in Parliament as the government struggled to agree new cuts that would be necessary to secure fresh aid from the European Union and the IMF. Meanwhile, in Germany, an argument's broken out between the European Central Bank and the German government over how any aid package should be structured. Joining me on the line now from Berlin is our bureau chief, Quentin Peel. Quentin, could you just explain what is this argument between the ECB and the German government about? Well, Germany, of course, is by far the largest lender to Greece in any rescue package, which is why Germany is so critical. And really what we're talking about here is a classic battle between the political imperatives and the financial ones, because what the Germans are saying is we cannot persuade our parliament and our taxpayers to produce a whole lot more money for Greece unless the private creditors, that's to say the banks, the insurance companies, the pension funds who hold Greek bonds, are prepared also to pick up part of the cost. And what they've been pushing very hard, they insist it would be voluntary, but it would have involuntary elements, is for the private creditors to agree to extend their bonds by exchanging them for, say, another seven years. Now, as soon as that goes on the table, the European Central Bank cries beware because they're very worried that any suggestion that the private creditors are going to be in any way forcibly involved will mean a Greek default and that will mean a spooking the markets right across the eurozone and the danger of 
contagion to Ireland, to Portugal, even to Spain and Italy, gets much greater. Isn't there also a slightly dangerous game for the German government to be paying, given that so many of the private creditors are, in fact, as we understand it, German banks? Up to an extent, it is. But I think they've sat down and they thought this is politically the right way forward in balance. The longer they've played it, the more that the German banks, the French banks and others have actually reduced their exposure to Greece. Now what they're trying to persuade them to do is extend their exposure. I mean, I think the likely compromise that is out there is that they will persuade the private creditors to roll over their bonds, but not necessarily to exchange them before they are due to be repaid. Because that wouldn't quite so obviously trigger a a classification of Greece as in default. But it's a very difficult balancing act. The Dutch have come in behind the Germans, the Finns are backing them, the Austrians. So it's the typical fiscally prudent northern states of Europe who are saying we've got to involve the banks, whereas the French are backing the ECB line of saying, look, we mustn't spook the market. Meanwhile, there's a separate argument that's going on about what the ECB has been doing in terms of buying peripheral countries' debt and and whether that in in itself is a prudent thing to do. Where, Where does that argument stand? Well, initially, the Germans were saying very much about the ECB, ah, they're only arguing their own book. They're scared they're going to lose money on all the Greek bonds they're holding. The truth is, I think that the contagion fear is the top of the ECB agenda, but there is a very real issue for them that they are holding a lot of Greek debt. They're also holding Irish bank debt. They've been prepared to take a lot of this as collateral for actually keeping liquidity going in Greece and in Ireland. Now, they're desperate to get out of that situation. They don't want to have to keep doing it. And they, I think, fear that the German strategy on this would require them to keep taking on board bad debt, on which they might, in the end, lose quite a lot of money. Quentin, thank you very much indeed. Our final topic today is the suggestion that the United States military could be about to return to Vietnam, but this time as honoured guests. Joining me on the line from Vietnam is our FT correspondent there, Ben Bland. Ben, how serious is this suggestion that the US Navy may be returning to Vietnam? I think it's a a very serious idea. Last year, the Vietnamese Prime Minister announced that he wanted to open Cameron Bay to foreign navies on a commercial basis. Um, The Vietnamese government has made clear it doesn't want to lease the whole base out to a foreign power ever again, but it wants to uh, open the base up to foreign navies who would pay to use the facilities along the lines of the Changi Naval Base in Singapore. And most analysts and diplomats that I've spoken to expect that the U.S. Navy would be the most likely to want to use the facilities there, partly because it's a very good bay, it's well sheltered from storms, but it's also located close to the strategic commercial routes in the South China Sea, which the U.S. has been um, increasingly vocal about in terms of China's assertiveness in the region. The U.S. stated several times that it has a, a clear national interest in keeping those lines of communication and transport through the South China Sea open. You say that the Vietnamese are seeing this primarily as a commercial thing, but do they also see a strategic interest in having the American Navy next door to China, a country that they've actually fought more recently even than the United States? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the Vietnamese um, emphasise the commercial point for a domestic audience, really. They want to make sure that everyone understands they won't lease the whole base out. 
But clearly there is a, a huge strategic benefit for the Vietnamese to have other navies, perhaps not just the US, maybe the Australians, Indians, South Koreans, all um, other parties who aren't China in the area. And allowing them to dock in Cameron Bay would give them a reason to be in the South China Sea and it allow them to be there for longer periods of time. So I think this is part of Vietnam's wider strategic game, which is to try and internationalize the disputes in the South China Sea and ensure that there are more foreign navies operating in the area to counterbalance China's naval power, which is really dominating the South China Sea. Finally, viewed from Vietnam, the South China Sea disputes have been around a long time. Are they getting worse? I think it's it's hard to say. I mean, neither Vietnam nor China are known for their transparency, especially when it comes to security issues. So we don't have a clear statistical picture of how many clashes there have been between fishing boats and, and oil and gas boats and other vessels in the South China Sea. But I do think there's been a lot more noise recently, and that's partly got to do with the increasing power of China's Navy. It's also got to do with the fact that countries are now looking to establish the legal basis for their claims to the South China Sea. And that's, that's been a lengthy process over the last 10 or 15 years, but it's certainly been accelerating. And as countries have tried to stake out their claims and clarify that on an international legal basis, I think we probably have been seeing more disputes. So we've had Chinese ships supposedly cutting the cables of all exploration ships operated by the Vietnamese, shots being fired at some fishermen, Vietnamese and Filipino. But it is hard to know exactly how often these things happen because you know, the governments aren't always clear. And I think both China, Vietnam, Philippines and other nations who are involved are trying to play a propaganda game here as well to play to their nationalist audience at home. Thank you very much indeed. And that's it for this week. My thanks to James in London, to Quentin in Berlin and to Ben Bland in Vietnam. World Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani and Rob Minto. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.